Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Why do we look ourselves in the mirror daily? Is it because we want to see how cute we are? The reason we look in the mirror is so that we can correct how we look. What would it benefit us if we don't correct an anomaly that we see in the mirror? The Word of God is the mirror to our souls. Listen what Hebrew 4 verse 12 says. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'll repeat again the last phrase. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This uh, series has been an awesome series. Personally, I've been challenged a lot. And also I've had testimonies of people that have been touched, transformed through this series. We have been looking inside ourselves through the lens of the Word, repenting and crying to God for change. This is what sanctification is all about. When you move from one state into a better state, talking about the mirror, as a newly wed, of course I'm an African guy if you didn't know, I don't know about American guys, but African guys have got big egos. So, after I got married, my wife would tell me that this is not good the way you are dressed. And I felt my big ego deflated. And I took offense with that. And it took me many years down the road to realize that she's right. (laughs) She knows more about clothing than I do. Now that I saw even my teenage children asking her if they were dressed correctly, then the light bulb went on and I realized. You change. 
from one state into another. Remember the story I once shared with you. My kids, they played soccer. I was a big soccer dad. And I used to shout a lot on the sidelines. Hey, ref! I think it's time that you get a new prescription. <laughs> that wasn't nice. That wasn't civil. But as time went on, you change. And you realize that this is not good. That soccer is being played in real time. And it's hard to grasp every decision correctly. Because it's live. And they are humans. They make mistakes. So by the time one of my boys was playing soccer at TU, I was a transformed man. I would sit there quietly, enjoying the game, not yelling or shouting, even if the ref was biased. I would keep mum. Why? It's because I had changed from one state to another. And that is the purpose of this whole series that we are coming to an end today. Our pastoral mission has not been to bash people or leave people guilty. Things have been exposed in our hearts not for the sake of them just being exposed, but for us to be changed from glory to glory. And as we are changed, we become more Christ-like. And today we focus on the last of the seven. And sloth is an accomplice of the other deadly sins. So we would like to start by defining what sloth is. The regular dictionary says, it is a disinclination to action or labor, and also that it is spiritual apathy and inactivity. And I'm going to pick on the second one, though this is the sec secular dictionary. Spiritual apathy and inactivity. The first verse that we will look at, it uses that word sloth, though in some English translations it has been translated to sluggish, slow in mind, but the original word there is sloth. And that same word sloth is used in chapter 6, verse 12, our last verse, it pops in again. Sloth is apathy toward God, the things of God, and the life of God in us. It is a spiritual sickness. This scripture is talking about spiritual apathy, not physical laziness, though physical laziness can be a symptom of sloth. 
other words, that means the same with sloth or nearly the same are idleness, indolence, inertia, laziness, shiftlessness. I once had a very tough talking teacher in high school. He used to stand up in class and say, do not be like a wheelbarrow that goes no further than it is pushed. That was tough. Dorothy Sayers described sloth this way. It is not merely idleness of mind and laziness of the body. It is the whole poisoning of the will, which, beginning with indifference and an attitude of I couldn't care less, extends to the deliberate refusal of joy and culminates in morbid introspection and despair. When we become slothful, we are not only doing a disservice to ourselves, but we are also doing a disservice to others. They lose out on what they were supposed to benefit because of our being slothful. And a fellow brother from Africa is now a professor at Biola, Biola University. He teaches professor of theology. Uche Anizo wrote in his book, The paradox of apathy is that we are captivated by the things we don't really care about and are lukewarm to the things in our heart of hearts that mean the most to us. We don't act on what we should act on, but we are awakened to the things we should probably ignore. Apathy is careless. It is care adrift. It is care misplaced. It is an enemy to the soul. Its cousins are depression and despondency. Now to our long passage. Our passage is actually a pause between Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10 and Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20. The writer of Hebrews all along had been talking about the priestly glories of the priestly status of the Lord Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he comes to a screeching halt in chapter 5, verse 10. He comes to a stop. He says, no more, no mass. We cannot continue like this. He takes a detour from chapter 5, verse 10, verse 11, up to chapter 6, verse 12, where we have read. Why did he take a detour? Why did he change course? Because he had seen something in the Hebrew church. And he said, we cannot continue like this, ladies and gentlemen. Let's stop and talk about something else. I've been teaching the juicy 
things about the priestly role of Christ. But it is not right that we talk about it. Because I see a disease amongst you. And so before we can continue, let's talk about that disease. Let's talk about that problem that I am seeing in your midst. So these verses, they give us the diagnosis. What is the diagnosis? Verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear because you no longer try to understand. And some versions, they say, you have become sluggish in your thoughts. You have become slothful in your thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a battle for our minds. There are people that are being paid high dollars to sit in their office and design marketing tactics to steal your mind. Growing up in Zimbabwe in high school, there was a food that I ate for lunch. We called it the candy cake. I wish I had a picture of it. Now this candy cake had icing on it, but beneath it was all flour. The person who designed it knew that high schoolers, whenever they look at that icing, they are going to fall for it. But beneath it was just a flower. Somebody was thinking. Somebody is thinking how to market and sell you something every day, every second. There is a battle for the gigabytes that we have in our heads. Social media. We are being bombarded from all sides. I feel for the young people how much screen time and how much they are being attacked from all angles. How much there is a cry for validation online. How many likes I can garner online. 24 is around the corner. There are men and women who are being paid high dollars on both sides of the political aisle. They are plotting against the other side. How much debt they can dig. Even if they know that some of that debt is false, they will still throw it, hoping that some will stick on the wall. Battling for your mind and my mind. Battling for your vote and my vote. And they are being paid high dollars. Those jobs don't come cheap. The political machines. And the writer in Hebrews comes to them and looks at them and says, there is no longer any space left on your minds for the gospel. Because you are so full of other things that you have become slothful to hearing 
the gospel. And he says, before we can continue, ladies and gentlemen, let's address this problem first. So we have seen that they are dull of hearing. They were supposed to be teachers by this time. But they needed somebody to teach them the elementary stuff, the ABCs of the gospel. And in verse 13, anyone who lives on milk is still being an infant. And verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So sluggishness causes three things. Growth impediment. They were supposed to have grown, but they had not grown. This was not a physical or a mental limitation. They they had stopped growing at a certain level and plateaued there. They became apathetic to hearing the word of God. I want to hear this. I don't want to hear that. I want to go to a church where they don't talk about sin. Where you would rather hear motivational speeches every morning. Where you don't hear about salvation, the blood of Christ, the cross. That's what our society has become. They want to be entertained. So they had not grown up this church. They had refused to grow. They had become too lazy to understand some of the childish behaviors that we see. Speech. Children are not articulate when they speak, they babble. Kids are cute, right? Even if they are drooling, they are cute, huh? Hey, come on. Are kids not cute? They are. (laughs) How many times did you try to remove dangerous objects in their way before they were consumed? They drink milk. They are not skilled to negotiate six-ounce steaks. And the author of Hebrews is saying, that's where you are. I've been trying to give you steaks. But you are still at the milk stage. You are still at the ABCs of the gospel. What are you reading? What are you watching? And what are you listening to? What is feeding your soul? What podcast do you listen to? Do you listen to some angry people that are angry about everything? What's sustaining your inner man? 
So we see the diet of children is different from the diet of adults. And also, children do not have any discernment. They cannot see and distinguish between the trees and the woods. Adults are expected to act like adults. They are trained into making choices. I don't like it when I see people lifting up weights and developing all those muscles to just do this and do this and flex them. What use is it? If you develop muscles, use them at least for something, right? And we as children of God, we shall see we will need to have a wellness program that we will talk at the end whereby we feed on scriptures and pray. We are training, we are waiting lifts. We are lifting up weights. We train for that day when we need to use it. When we need to make decisions, that word which is in us comes up. When we face hardships, instead of those hardships crushing us and destroying us, we are not destroyed. Somebody say amen. So that was the diagnosis that the writer had made about this church. That they had refused to grow. They were not growing And then he gives them the remedy. Hebrews 6, 1 to 3. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. From being a child to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting will do so. The writer urges the Hebrews to grow up, to move from immaturity. And the Bible says we need to run the rest set before us, laying aside every weight and sin which weighs us down. That has been the purpose of this series. Every weight and every sin, it pulls us down in this race that we need to run with endurance. This race of faith. And we press toward the mark of our high calling. But in between, the author inserts a warning. These are some of the toughest scriptures in the Bible. Verses 4 to 8. They are tough to explain. Even 
a lot of uh, Bible scholars, they don't agree on what they mean. I will briefly summarize my thoughts here. You can either take them or leave them. And you are free to make what you can of this scripture. But this is what I believe. That the writer in this section is talking about apostasy and its consequences. And apostasy is when you believe in Christ, you believed in Christianity, and then you turn around and publicly denounce that no, it is wrong. Then there are consequences. I also believe in the unity of Scripture, that the Bible does not contradict itself. And Scripture offers us eternal security. Once we come to Christ, we are assured of eternal security. In John chapter 10, verses 27 to 28, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow them. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We are eternally his. However, the author felt it important to include this verse and warn the Hebrews. And also in 1 John 2.19, it says, They went from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And also Jesus gave the parable about the wheat and the tares. In the same field, in the same church, there was the true wheat, but there was another seed that was foreign that was planted in there. So let our minds be at peace if you accepted Jesus in your heart, you confessed the Lord Jesus, you are assured of salvation. And these scriptures that we are dealing with here, they are mainly focusing on sanctification, whereby you are changed and become more Christ-like. So we have seen the diagnosis and we have seen what the remedy, the medication that needs to be taken. Now let's look lastly at the wellness program. How could they continue in a healthy way after they had seen all those things that were pulling them down? But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation Though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and the love which you showed toward his name, in that you ministered unto the saints and still do minister. And we desire that each one of you may show the same diligence unto the fullness of hope, even to the end, that you be not sluggish, that word again, it was there in the beginning and it's closing. 
Be imitators of them who through faith and patience inherited the promises. So he's saying, even if you had not grown up, I'm urging you to grow up. I'm urging you to apply yourselves to the scriptures. I'm urging you to act like adults because you would have progressed in the word of God. And because you become mature, you become fruitful. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, it benefits those that are around you. At work, the people that work with you, they should benefit from you being Christ-like, from you bearing fruit that is Christ-like. Your sporting community, they should benefit because of who you are. Your classmates, they should benefit because of your fruitfulness as we mature in the Lord. As we apply ourselves to the things that are important, as we search the scriptures, as we grow, as we move from glory to glory, let it be a blessing to those around us. And in verse 11, it is also encouraging us to pursue assurance that there is assurance of the final salvation, that this life is not the end game. Better things are going to come in the future. And it encourages to keep doing your service to the saints, to keep seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. I would like to share with you the face of endurance. I'm going to have a couple of characters on the screen. That's the first character. The story of Solomon Grandi. I did not create it, so I don't take artistic credits for it. I just lifted it from somewhere. Solomon Grandi was born on Monday. He was christened on Tuesday. He got married on a Wednesday. He was taken ill on Thursday. He got worse on Friday. He died on Saturday and was buried on Sunday. And that was the end of Solomon Grandi. We don't hear anything more about this guy. We don't hear any legacy about this guy. What a sad story. I would like to contrast the life of this guy to the life of another guy. That's on your screen there. Some of you know this guy, Erwin King. At 94, he was still visiting the sick. And I would go out with him 
slow walking. Sometimes you would use that walking stick and we would go to the hospitals to visit sick people at 94. He went on several mission trips. Even at 92, he went on one of several trips that he made to Rainbow Acres. Spent a lot of Saturdays in North Tausa building wheelchair ramps for many years. We had a crew here at the church, the Cake Capitals, and on Saturdays they would go and build wheelchair ramps in North Tausa. He was attending a Joshua men's group. He attended a Bible study on Tuesday mornings at 94. Searching scriptures. Searching the word. Never rested. Having that deep hunger in his heart at 94. He was actively involved in evangelism. And I thank God that I had a front seat row to his ministry. He would carve out wooden crosses. And whenever he meets somebody, his icebreaker would be giving them that cross. And the next thing, he's preaching to them. There are many people that I've visited long after he had died that still talk about those crosses that he had given to them. He did not let sloth, laziness, encroach in his spiritual life. He kept searching. And Paul says in the scriptures, I have not yet apprehended it. I have not yet touched it. But I strive towards that mark of my calling. I keep pushing forward. I keep having that hunger. I keep having that thirst. I'm not satisfied. I'm not happy. I'm not yet there until I attain it. And somebody might be saying this morning, well, during this series, I've heard of things that I'm struggling with. I've got good news for you. The Bible says he was hung on the cross. And there on the cross, on that rugged tree, with that crown of thorns on his head, the Bible says he carried all my sins and all your sins. Whatever has been weighing you down, whatever you have identified during this series, this morning you can come and lay it on the cross. For he cried and said, it is finished. Meaning your sins and my sins were forgiven. They were nailed on that cross. So that you and I can become free. And the scriptures say, if the son of man shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. He says, for I have come to declare the good year of the Lord. 
to set the captives free. You might have been going round and round in that sin, whatever it is, and you thought there is no breakthrough. There is an answer. And Jesus is the answer. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the power of the cross. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. You said even if your sins are as red as scarlet, Father, you promised that you would wash us, O Lord. We join David this morning and pray, Father, that you create a clean heart within us, O God. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name, amen.